My name is Vince Massa. I have Crohn's disease, and this is my story. This is episode eight, and welcome to Crohn's Cast. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in to tonight's episode. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking with Vince Massa. Now, you might not know Vince Massa, but he goes under the alias of Turbo Fudge on Instagram. And we kind of met through the Ostomy Athletes group on Facebook. And Vince is quite regularly sharing some really good tips about training with his ostomy on there. And he's just generally a really nice guy, as I'm sure you will see in this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and clicking on that thumbnail um, and coming in to join us for the episode. Don't forget to press the like button if you like the video, that is, uh, because that really helps with uh, making sure this video gets out in front of the people that need to see it. So don't forget to like the video, hit that subscribe button, that way you will have us in your YouTube feed and hit the little bell icon if you're on YouTube and that way you'll get notified every time that we upload. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea if you need to and enjoy the episode. Okay Vince, welcome to Crohn's Cast. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Um, if you wouldn't mind just taking a few minutes for the viewers at home or for the guys at home to introduce yourself. Okay, uh, my name is Vince Massa. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease um, in the spring of 1996. I've had lots of experiences with surgery and other setbacks. Uh, I've got my ostomy back in, actually it was about this time in 2011, right around just before the holidays, which was a lot of fun. Um, since then, um, just discovered the world of uh, fitness and uh, thanks to my wife, I should say, and uh, just been trying to learn and figure out how to work my path through that experience with, uh, with the disease. That's amazing. Uh, Vince, if you wouldn't mind talking to us about your life prior to being diagnosed. So what sort of stuff were you up to? How did life look before you were diagnosed? And then when did you start getting symptoms? Um, let's see. Uh, I was diagnosed when I was 26. So it was pretty much at the, the later end, at least at that time. They, they told me that uh, diagnosis usually occurred between the ages of about 18 to 26 years old uh, for Crohn's disease. Um, when I was born, I'd been born with, uh, I, was, I was pretty sickly. I had a club foot, um, had severe allergies and asthma. Uh, my family at the time lived in Florida, which didn't really help with those sorts of issues because extremely humid, lots of uh, things to be allergic to, mold, things like that. Um, so when I was 11, um, my family actually moved to Utah, where I'm residing now, for a much drier climate. Um, I had been on lots of medications, I got four allergy shots weekly to try to deal with, uh, with the allergies, to try to make things um, uh, settle down for me. Um, about once a year, I'd have to go to, to the hospital uh, in an emergency fashion because of asthma attacks and get shots of adrenaline. Uh, what I recall from that, even from an early age, is when you get the shot, yeah, you'd feel a lot better, but like clockwork, riding home in the car, you'd throw up just because your body was racing so, so quickly. Um, so once I got out here um, attending school, um, I did a lot of drama and radio in high school. Um, never really did a whole lot with, uh, with athletics or fitness. Um, although in junior high, we did have uh, the, the forced fun runs, that's what they would call them once a week. And I, I was able to um, unconsciously how to improve performance uh, over a year <laughs> Hello? Okay, I'm just starting the interview.
Have you started DDV? Did everybody? Um, well, that was uh, yeah, it's life, right? Being in, being in someone else's house, like things. Yeah. No, nope. I understand. That's life. That's that's difficult for me too. So, no problem. So anyway, um, kind of kind of found a way to um, get into and enjoy actually learning how to improve your performance, like with uh, distance running. Um, but that was kind of short lived because then once I got into high school, my focus changed more to um, uh, drama, radio. Started getting into computers at that time. Uh, started working a lot, um, and then once I graduated. Uh, was working full-time at a radio station out here. Um, that was short-lived once the station got sold. Um, lost the job pretty quickly, and that turned me off of being in any sort of broadcasting job because there's no stability. Uh, but I met my wife. Um, we got married really young. Um, in a lot of ways, that was good. And looking back on it, uh, we've discussed it before, and we probably wouldn't recommend it for a lot of people, but for us, it worked. Um, and just started working full-time, trying to go to school. Um, started having some symptoms, although I didn't understand what they were at the time. Um, but it hit me kind of like a, a Mack truck when I was about 25. Um, started getting uh, feelings of indigestion, um, just churning in my stomach, um, and then started having what's essentially was tarry stools, which doing some research into it. And at that time, the internet wasn't readily available, so it wasn't as easy to go online and try to diagnose what the symptoms were. Back in uh, the day of internet cafes and stuff. It, exactly. Um, or or dial-up, the old AOL dial-up connections. Um, but went and saw my doctor. They thought perhaps that it was uh, an ulcer. And so they put me on some medication for that. Um, but it rapidly deteriorated um, to the point where um, basically it got too painful to eat. And in the course of about three weeks or so from when I first went in to see the gastroenterologist because they figured out that the, the uh, medication they put me on wasn't doing anything for the symptoms at all. So from the first time that I saw the gastroenterologist to three weeks later for the follow-up, when they first did the scope, um, I lost about 30 pounds. And it was really, really dramatic. Now understand, I hadn't really been very active at that time. So my weight was around probably 200, 205. And I'm not very tall. I'm only about five six, five seven. So I was a you know, fat little Italian kid essentially, um, and so it was a pretty dramatic uh, period of uh, time and weight loss. So dragging myself back into his office, um, the the doctor's eyes kind of bugged out, and he said, "Okay, we've got to put you into the hospital immediately." What was the time frame between those two points? Uh, it was about two weeks um, because they knew that something was up. They weren't entirely sure what at the time. Um, so they, they did the usual, you know, blood tests. They took stool samples, seeing if it was a parasite. They just didn't know. Um, and even with the scope, they did see some inflammation and some signs, but they weren't ready to make a definitive uh, diagnosis at then. Um, like I said, 20, 21 years ago, it, it just wasn't as, uh, gosh, it's longer than that, 20, 23 years ago now. Um, it, was, it was not as common. Um, so put me into the hospital, hooked me up to, uh, IVs. I was in there for about 11 days cause they had also diagnosed that I had an abscess at that time. Um, and so finally it came down to it. They said surgery, which was scary, uh, because when they started describing to me what was going to happen, they were basically going to unzip me from my sternum to below my belly button 
and go in and cut out a significant portion of bowel in order to take care of what was affecting me. Um, and up to that point, the only surgeries that I'd had uh, had been having my tonsils removed when I was four. So that was pretty significant. Um, they, of course, talked about medication, uh, prednisone, and the 11 days that I was in there prior to the surgery, they were just pumping me full of all sorts of uh, steroids. And it, it helped to reduce the inflammation, but it didn't really take care of the overall issue. Yeah. Uh, um, so went through the surgery. Uh, I remember waking up and as they were wheeling me out of the, the OR um, and just feeling like my back was just on fire because they, when they do the incision, uh, you know, up, up, the, uh, up the front, they have to cut through all those muscles. At least they did at that time. And so there was nothing to support my lower back. And so I can still remember just the sheer agony that I was in. Um, knocked me out again, took me up to the room. And then uh, when I woke up the next morning, the first thing that the nurse tells me is, okay, we're going to get up and we're going to walk around. And I thought there is absolutely no way that's going to happen. I can barely move without being inflamed because I had, you know, 16 staples down the front of my stomach holding all my guts in. Um, so they got up, walked me around the, uh, the ward. Um, about halfway through, I felt like I had to cough. So they told me, grab a pillow and stick it next to your stomach to hold that in. And that was, that was horrible just because it hurt so much when you actually had to cough and you're hold, holding it in as much as possible. Just the pressure going out against the stomach, <coughs> uh, against those staples, it was, it was awful. Um, so the upside was once I was finally released from the hospital, probably about eight, nine days later, um, rehab, uh, getting up and around, that took me probably about a week and a half at that time, just rehabbing on the couch. Um, the one upside that I learned out of that whole experience was the fact that uh, I hated being in there because every day they'd come in and they'd give you blood thinner shots, which if you've ever had, uh, it's called Coumadin. I don't know if you've ever been on something like that. Nope. That stuff stings and they have to administer it every eight hours. And so you could set your watch by it. Um, they told me, they also put me up on a, a pain pump where essentially it's a self-administered on a timer pain medication where you hit that and hit you with, uh, with, the, with the drugs. But they told me when they handed me the plunger, they said, the less you use this, the sooner your bowels wake up and the sooner you get to go home. And so that registered. I didn't want to get those shots. Being woken up at two o'clock in the morning to get a shot administered in your arm that felt like you'd been stung by a bee, that was not fun. So I resolved I was only going to use this thing in absolutely the minimal circumstances. So I think I hit it twice. Uh, got me out of there faster, but I realized that the less that I had to rely on drugs, even for dire circumstances, the better it was. Um, there was also the, cons the concern that addiction, I didn't want to have to get in the situation where I had to depend on pain pills or, or get some sort of habit from those. Um, so that first surgery um, held me for probably about eight and a half years without symptoms. Um, they had me on a bunch of different medication they wanted to try. At first, it was uh, Pentassa, uh, which is a, a derivative of Asacol, which I'm sure that's, that's people are probably familiar with that. Um, but then about eight and a half years later, the symptoms started coming back. Um, so they started putting me on a bunch of different kinds of medication because it was clear what they were trying just was not working for me. Um, once they exhausted the, uh, and back then they didn't really have a whole lot of stuff to go to. So in between uh, trying this stuff out, they 
kept me pretty much constantly on a low dose of prednisone. Mm -hmm. um, and prednisone is nasty stuff. Um, it works. It's kind of like a, a dropping an atomic bomb where it just clears everything out. But at the same time, the lasting effects afterward are just horrible. Um, and I didn't like that either. So uh, we worked through the normal medications that they had available, and they started moving over to stuff that uh, was less traditional, I guess, at the time. So uh, cancer meds. So I was on Imuran. They put me on that. Um, I got uh, uh, pancreatitis from that almost right away. That's one of the, the minor side effects that could possibly come from it. Have you ever been on that stuff? Uh, no, but uh, we have discussed it. Um, so it was, they, luckily the doctor that I was with, when we first started working together on this stuff, um, he was very dismissive. Um, we didn't get along very well. And it finally was in between the course of coming in and seeing how severe a case I had, dropping that much weight in that short of time. And also basically me drawing the line with him and saying, look, I'm not here to argue with you. This is my health and my life that I'm talking about. The reason why I'm asking and pushing you on these questions is we've got to get this stuff taken care of. Um, and so at that point, it kind of changed his outlook. And we started working together pretty closely on, on how to combat this stuff. And that could be a really tough conversation to have because I think in uh, the doctor-patient relationship, you kind of hold the doctor in a higher regard and you kind of have a, a submissive relationship with the doctor. Right. So you have to challenge him can be very difficult for people to come to terms with. And I think you obviously living in America, you've got a very different healthcare system to what we have in the UK. Um, and I'm just wondering what, how was that for you? Because we don't have to worry necessarily about bills and insurance for right. our healthcare in the UK. I'm just wondering how that was affecting you. Was, there, was, was that relating to much stress whilst we were going through this process? Or? Um, I got pretty lucky because at the time I was actually working for uh, the state. Um, uh, my focus in school at that time was, was psychology. And so I thought, oh, good idea was to work at the state hospital. Um, and that would coincide. State jobs usually don't pay a whole lot. Traditionally back then they didn't, but the benefits were fantastic. Um, and we weren't only concerned at that time because my wife and I were both young and relatively healthy and you don't think about it. Um, but luckily, when we started going through all these trips to the doctor, the, the different medications, and the hospital bills, um, we were pretty well covered. Now, in the U.S. healthcare system, regardless of what system you are on, and I'm, I'm not too well-versed with the way it is over in, over in the U.K., um, you've got a minimum or a deductible that you're supposed to pay at the outset every year. That's what the patient is supposed to meet, both for... Uh, medical bills and also for prescriptions. We met those pretty quickly. And at the time we didn't have any children and my wife was also working. And so we were able to cover that initial amount pretty easily off the bat. Um, and it was also at the right time of year. I was diagnosed in February. So we were able to get those coverages out of the, out of the way pretty soon. Um, you're right when you say that the relationship between doctor and patient is kind of one that You've got different levels. Um, that's one thing that I've talked to a lot of people about, even people that are going through different sorts of issues, is that you have to understand that the doctor, even though they're extremely well-educated and they know what they're doing, they are someone that you contract with. They are working for you. And so really, you can't just go in there and be passive and say, oh, well, this is what I'm feeling or this is what I'm experiencing. 
you actually have to work with them. Now, I've also seen the other side where people have come in with the reams of paper that they found off of WebMD and say, this is what I've got. It has to be a collaborative process. You have to be able to exchange that information and listen to each other and work together. Because um, they bring obviously a, a, an incredible set of skills and knowledge and background, but at the same time, you know what's going on within your body and you know how you're feeling. And everybody is unique in their circumstances. Not all the medications work the same way for everyone, which is extremely frustrating, I've found. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, what would your advice be for someone who finds themselves in a similar situation in America and having to approach the healthcare system there? Um, definitely, number one, as soon as you are experiencing anything, um, typically we have to go to a general, uh, a GP, general practitioner. Um, keep notes of what you're experiencing, uh, relate those to the doctor, and also make suggestions if you feel like the way that they're approaching it doesn't seem right to you. If they're like, oh, well, go ahead and take some, some antacid or, you know, doing a cut rate approach to the issue. Again, you know the symptoms. You know how badly it's affecting you. Um, beyond that, do your research. Look online. Um, look at your medical information that they, your job will give to you for your insurance because you'll rapidly find out that maybe um, the person that you're visiting isn't covered within your network which can be very costly, or there's going to be somebody that has more um, background and more information, basically a better doctor that could be available to you. And when it comes down to procedures, if you have to do MRIs, CTs, whatever, you can actually shop around over here. You can, you can, uh, they have websites available that you can get online and you can say the type of procedure that you're looking for, and it will help find a lower cost um, facility. Um, and of course, that conjures up the images of somebody in a van in, in an alleyway saying, yeah, come on in, kid. Let's get your scan done. But it's not like I've got, that. I've got an image of the symptoms going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but there, there are definitely ways. Just don't, again, don't be passive. Um, take it seriously. And basically, this is your life. This is your disease. Take charge of it and try to manage it. That would be my first suggestion. Yeah, no, that's, that's I think that's really helpful, honest advice, hopefully, because uh, I'm aware that with, a, with this show, borders don't really happen. So there's a lot of different experiences across. Right. The world. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I found too, is that um, that made me kind of wary because at the time, the job that I was working at, we, uh, I had to travel, not a lot, but probably about six or seven times a year. Mm -hmm. um, we did um, software installs at different uh, stores around the country. And so that was always a concern, is that what would happen if I would have a flare or if I had to visit the hospital while I was out of state? Um, luckily, that only occurred once, and that was years later. Um, but again, it's something that I learned that if I was going out of town, I would do a quick search and try to determine, okay, if something were to come up, who can I go and visit, what hospitals are available, and what areas can I go to if I do have to go seek treatment? Um, so that's... The, uh, one of the other things that the disease has trained me is that uh, doing some background work or some research prior to anything, even if you're just going out for the evening or going to see a movie, um, I'm sure you might do the same thing as well, that as soon as you're in, in a new area, you're kind of checking the whole area saying, okay, where's the bathroom? Where's the quickest way that I can get to it? Um, and I don't think it's, there's anything bad about that. It's just you learn to plan for contingencies. Now, I find it's almost uh, a semi-automatic or unconscious right. 
thing that occurs now. It's like just as you walk in the building and you check, you go and ding, 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 right, right. right. You're, you're like uh, uh, bathroom secret service duty. Yeah. Checking yeah. the perimeter. So, um, so you've mentioned you had surgery prior to having an ostomy. What, what, was, it, what was it that they did, if you don't mind sharing? They did a uh, bowel resection. And so um, the details are a little hazy because I've actually had um, three bowel resections at this point, uh, even before they, they gave me the bag. Um, but they took, uh, I think it was probably about four inches of small intestine and like three inches of large, uh, because where the Crohn's was affecting me was right where the large and the small intestine meet. Um, so basically they just go in, they clip out both sides and staple them back together. Um, and they say that it gives you anywhere from five to, you know, eight years of basic remission because they just cut out the disease portion of the bowel. Um, they also told me that if it were to come back, when it were, to, when the disease were to come back, it would most likely um, start at the area that they stitched it back together. Um, so that's a downside. At that time, because it, the disease was brand new, my bowels were relatively healthy. Um, I mentioned the long period that I was on prednisone and why that's bad because the longer that I was on prednisone um, and the more flares that I would have, uh, Crohn's, if people don't know what will happen is it's, it's an autoimmune disease where basically the, the body turns on itself and it affects the digestive tract. For Crohn's, it's from the esophagus all the way to the other side to the outlet. And so anywhere along there, your body will basically look at sections of your bowel and say, um, this is an invader. And so the immune system starts to attack it. It ends up uh, causing like ulcers almost along the uh, digestive tract that get scar tissue built up on them. And so it causes the bowel to narrow. Well, prednisone helps to reduce those um, inflammations uh, short term, but it also causes a, uh, a thinning of the bowel as well. So as I would have these surgeries, I would get shorter and shorter periods of time where I would go into remission or where the disease would calm down. Um, and the last time that I had the surgery, the, uh, the surgeon came out and talked to my wife and said, what we're seeing here is that because he's been on so much prednisone, the, the bowel is almost um, like tissue paper at this point, yeah. um, where he says it's really, really fragile. And so he was very concerned and he said, we've got to do something different. Uh, we have to get him off of the, uh, the uh, anti-inflammation drugs, the uh, steroids, because it's, it's just wrecking his system. The stuff that's saving him is also destroying the system. I think that's one of the really scary aspects of having Crohn's arthritis or, or, or other variations of IBD is the, the, the sheer balancing act that goes on and the fact right. that the medication, the, the, the side effects are so various and the quant there's a cacophony almost of side right. effects just to get the, and that's something I think is a really important discussion to have with your, your care pathway team is looking at the impact and factors and how long you should be on certain doses because uh, I know um, whenever I've been on prednisolone that it's been for short short periods of high dose and then mm -hmm. trying to trying to wane off as soon as possible that you've managed to get control of that flare. But yeah, I was before I had my went through my J pouch surgeries and had an ostomy for for that period. I was exactly the same position as you were. I'd been on such a high anti-inflammatory medication regime. That the the ball in itself was was as was yeah very very weak and falling apart as he was removing it for me. 
And yeah, it's crazy how it goes like that. Yeah, and the side effects that come along with that too. I mean, as helpful as the drugs are, the the night sweats, um, uh, you get, uh, for me, I got increased uh, oil on my skin, which led to uh, uh, skin outbreaks, uh, acne, um, hungry all the time. And then if you're on it for a significant period of time, um, not really mood swings, but uh, sort of, and not really roid rage, but basically you did have a, a shorter temper. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, and the rounding of the face, people have complained about that face, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the moon face. It's all real um, and it's nasty. And so you kind of learn to hate these drugs that you're on that's, that's trying to give you a relief and try to get you out of this flare situation. I think, I think what's crazy as well, actually, what I noticed, notice, um, sorry, what I used to notice, get my words out, um, whenever I was on doses that people would then comment and go, because one, the, one of my things I find is I would, would really struggle with weight. And I would generally be on a lighter side. Um, and then when I'd be taking prednisolone, I would find that I would be putting weight on and you have the mood. <laughs> and I, you're still, you're not feeling great, but people are going, oh my God, like you're, you're putting on, you look so healthy. And you're like, yeah. I am so far from healthy right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, there was one period where uh, one of my little sisters uh, made the comment when, when she found out that uh, we had this disease oh. and what it meant. <laughs> basically skipping because uh, you would go for periods of time i would go for a couple of days where basically the only thing that i was uh, doing was drinking water or having uh nutrition shakes because you didn't want to get any solid food through your system because it was so painful um she she remarked half jokingly like oh well that sounds like a good approach to for me to lose some weight and it's like mm, no no it's not really the benefits outweigh the the downside uh, or the downside outweighs the benefits greatly so it's not really worth it yeah, totally. Um, so how has life changed for you since you've uh, gone through gone through your numerous surgeries and then ended up where you are now with an ostomy? How has, how has life changed? Um, it's made me pay a lot more attention to, um, which I did before when I had allergies, but it made me pay a lot more attention to um, how my body is responding to things. Um, I'm also a lot more careful with um, what I eat, not primarily from a nutrition standpoint, but how is this going to affect me in the long term? Um, also, I think that uh, the disease itself has given me a new perspective and a much better outlook on challenges that we face and why we're given those challenges. And also helped me realize that, um, turn my, my view outward, um, especially when you're younger, it's all about, it's all self-centered, it's all you. Um, and you don't really have a whole lot of consideration. And this is, Typically, there are some some people that I know that that's not the case at all. Um, but understanding that everybody has challenges that they go through and the benefit that you can have in helping them or reaching out to them and seeing what you can do. Um, so, I mean, there's been downsides from it, but I think it's actually the disease has made me a better person, as, as bad as that sounds or as strange as that sounds. Yeah, I think I think sometimes going through um, adversity does it's almost like the, the phoenix rising from the flames right a catalyst mm. yeah yeah um so i know you've got you've got into crossfit and that's that's something that i've right. noticed uh, particularly on the our social groups that we're a part of together like the ostomy athletes and um 
on on Instagram, and and I think I think that's fantastic. What what got you into it? I think you mentioned your wife got you into fitness. Was it CrossFit? Absolutely. Yeah. What happened was so when I had, um, well, okay. So leading up to it, the last time that I had a a bowel resection was um, in fall of 2010. Um, the doctor said, okay, we're going to go and we're going to take out some of the scarred area. We're going to take out some of the diseased area and we'll see what happens there because I had had, again, several abscesses this time. They were, they were closer to the anus and it was getting to the point where they could only do so much medication. They had drained those a couple of times. Um, they said, we can't take out uh, bowel too close to that area because it could damage the valve that controls when things come out. And once that's damaged or gone, game over, you can never, you know, have that replaced or repaired. So when I had the, the last bowel resection and it didn't really do a whole lot to uh, affect the symptoms or the, the issues that I was going through, that's when six months into it, they said, hey, we need to start considering putting you on a temporary ostomy. Um, and so at that time I was just miserable. And so I was ready to consider anything because I'd been going through this for a period of about two years of a really severe up and down period. Um, and so, Two days before Christmas, uh, 2011, they took me in, gave me the surgery, um, was released from the hospital two days later, came home, rehabbed over the holiday, and I was not enthused um, because honestly, I was so out of it or in so much discomfort and pain leading up to the process. I didn't do a whole lot of research on what was actually involved with an ostomy. Yeah, you're getting, you're getting a bag. You're getting a bag. I, I knew what that was. But the whole point of a stoma, how the appliances worked, I didn't really understand it. Um, so there was a period of time where I had to get my head around and figure out how to actually work, change the own my own bag, work through the different products because there's a lot of different applications out there, figure out what works and doesn't work. Um, and then after about a year when things had sorted out and I'd figured out the routine and how to make things work and how to change my diet so that the output was was not overwhelming. Um, I had always been into computers. And so one of the side jobs that I had at that time, more of a hobby, was I did uh, video game reviews. I worked for a, a gaming website. And so um, that was what, what my, not really my focus, but that's what I did in my downtime. And so one night I'd gotten done playing a game and I came upstairs and my wife had always been pretty active herself. She'd played uh, softball as a kid. She was very active. She kept doing that and playing volleyball after we'd gotten married. She'd started a, a home workout routine. Um, one of these, uh, you know, purchase a DVD sets from uh, this big health vendor. Um, and so she invited me to come and try this workout routine with her. It was a, it was a high intensity training. Um, and so at that point, I'd started wondering like, okay, I've got this bag, uh, is my life over? Can I do anything with this thing anymore? So I thought, eh, all right, I'll try it with her. So tried it, felt absolutely ridiculous trying to go through the, the hit moves because I was completely uncoordinated. Um, and after doing it for about a week, I started noticing some, some change, some muscle definition, and it was actually kind of fun. And I got to spend time with her, which when you start getting more kids, um, you start to understand how limited the time that you get to spend with your spouse is. Oh, yeah. um, and we were, we were together for 10 years before we had our first child. So we had a period of time where it was really nice. Um, and then when the kids came along, that was a different dimension. That was also nice too, but I missed that being able to spend a lot of time with her. Um, so we did that for probably about 
five or six months and she'd been doing it for about two years previously to this point she got bored and she said look uh i enjoy doing this with you but i've got to find something else because when you're going through the same dvds and it's a set of 10 yeah it it drives you mental because you hear the same cues the same stupid jokes the same music so she said well, let's let's look at doing something else and i'm like eh, all right so she said well let's try running and my immediate reaction was okay that sounds awful but if it means i'm getting out with you let's go ahead and do it so we went out and we started uh we started we followed a 5k or couch to 5k program um we started training and what i found pretty quickly was not only did i enjoy it but i was actually good at it too um my speed started increasing my time started going down we started increasing our mileage and at that time we found in a runner's world an ad for the uh, uh crohn's and colitis foundation of america the ccfa they were putting on a half marathon in vegas at the end of the year that benefited research well we live probably about three or four hundred miles from las vegas and we thought okay this is a cool goal the idea of doing a half marathon at that time just seemed like there's no way we're going to be able to build up to it. Our longest run had been five miles, but here's a goal. Here's something we can work towards. So we started training. We joined the CCFA, started doing some fundraising as well. Um, I actually did enough to qualify to have my trip paid for and entry into the race paid for. And then about a month before the race, she aggravated a hamstring injury that she'd gotten in volleyball years before. And so I had to go down and do it by myself. Um, did the race um, and I loved it. It was great. Uh, and so we, we started becoming pretty serious runners and we did that for about four or five years. Um, after I did the first half marathon, I said, okay, when's the next half marathon? Um, did Ragnar, are you familiar with, with Ragnar? Did they do that over in the UK? Um, no, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm aware of what Ragnar is. It's, no. it's pretty big over here in the States. It's um, uh, basically, it's like a team relay so essentially you will take uh, two teams of usually it's four individuals and over a 48 hour period you traverse anywhere from 250 to 300 miles so you run different legs different periods and it starts from depending on where you're at what state you're in it starts at one location and you end up running all the way to another location uh, okay. I think a lot it, of fun I think it sounds similar to something we've i've heard of before called race the sun and we start okay yeah on one side of the uk basically and yeah. race the other against the sun you ever done it I haven't personally done it yet, but it is something that maybe around my 40s will be. <laughs> it's it's so much fun. I mean, it number one when for me when I was running with people, it was a good way to bond and talk and get to learn about what their challenges are, what their goals and aspirations are. But when you're stuck in a van with uh, four other sweaty people and you're up the whole night and uh, you're encouraging people, it's it's a blast. It's time consuming but it's a lot of fun so if you get the opportunity absolutely do it um so i started after my second half marathon there were obviously little goals like seeing what i could get my weekly mileage to do um what my times could be um i learned that you're racing against yourself um you're always you're always going to find somebody that's faster younger um has better uh, speed than you do and so i learned that i'm challenging myself um, I also started to think like, well, if I was able to do a half, could I possibly do a full? Um, Talked to my gastroenterologist at that time, explained to him what I was doing and tried to find out like, is this okay? He thought it was great. He said, when you stress your body in a safe environment like this, he said, um, 
it, it suppresses the immune system. So he was all for it. He was also a triathlon guy as well. So he's like, absolutely go for it. He says, make sure you stay hydrated, uh, pay attention to what's going on with your body during your training and during the race, but otherwise go for it. Gave me his blessing. So I started formulating in the back of my head as like, well, can I do a full marathon? So yeah, okay, so let's start training for it. Um, did the first full marathon, didn't do great, came in uh, just over four hours because uh, on the last 20 mile training session that you're supposed to do two weeks before the race, my bag failed 14 miles into the run. So I ended up limping into the car, holding my gut with the bag in place so that I didn't have stuff filling all over the place. Um, but I thought it was great. So I wanted to do it again. Um, and then I also thought, well, is it the sort of thing that can I do well enough at some point that I can actually qualify for Boston? Mm -hmm. If I could qualify for that marathon, that would be to me showing basically showing Crohn's disease. You've got nothing. It, you do not control me. I'm in charge of this. Um, and that kind of became my mantra during this process is that, yeah, it's painful, but it's pain on my terms. It's not the Crohn's that's doing this to me. I'm going to dictate what's going to happen to my body. Um, so over the next two years, I set up a, a plan. I would get up in the morning um, at about four o'clock, um, go out and run for uh, anywhere from six to eight miles, depending on what the day was like. Um, and I did that five days a week. And then there was a long run on the weekend. And then in between that, we would go and do additional races because we hooked up with a, a pacing group here. Those are the people that carry the, the time flags and they help other people that are trying to meet their time goals come in across the finish line within that time period. Um, and that was great because you're helping other people meet their goals as well. So um, after uh, I did qualify for Boston, qualified twice, actually ran it in 2016. Um, and that was a little concerning because I was getting to that outside time limit again, even with the bag, it did turn things around for me. It made the symptoms uh, much less. Um, I had to adjust the way that I was learning to eat, but I had a new challenge, which is that my, my bowel had been so scarred that I started having issues where I would get uh, blockages, where basically I would have flares and the food that I would eat would get stuck. Um, and so I would have to go into the hospital, get an NG tube put into place, get high doses of steroids to get the inflammation down. Have you ever had an obstruction? Yeah, it's not, it's just not fun. I uh, literally, I had a, a stall about two, two or three weeks ago now. Really? Yeah. Bad enough to put you in the hospital? No, I, I, I think if I'm honest with myself, I probably should have went into the hospital. Um, just because it was over 24 hours that I had no movements for, mm -hmm. but I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want an NG tube. I don't want to, yeah. when, when we go in the hospital, it's like, you're going to be in there for three, four, five days. Yep. Yep. It's really, a huge disruption. So yeah. what do you do to treat those? Um, just time. It was just a case of time for me. Um, and that's usually what I find whenever I have that. that it's, if it doesn't start moving within the sort of 24, 48 hour window, then I know it's serious and I do need to right. go. But usually I can get, if I've had a couple of beers or... Um, just so, just unusual foods, foods that wouldn't know you, you know you 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 go in like like peanuts or something like that. If I yeah. had yeah. too many of that kind of stuff, then I know there's there's a highly likelihood that I'm going to get is that that it's like a trigger food almost. Right. Yeah. Triggers. So do you, do you avoid so those? 
every so often it would be like I just go carefree and be like <laughs> deal with the consequences. But usually I've been quite fortunate and they only last about twenty four hours. Yeah. But yeah, it's like this one was very I was quite concerned towards the end because I wasn't really able to consume water. Um so I was getting really dehydrated and I was like trying to suck an ice cube and stuff. And then um I think literally within the next four to six hours things started moving. You know, it's like a such a weird sensation, but it's just yeah. Like a, like a yep. switch and everything starts moving. You're like, oh, it's definitely working. Like, yeah. Right. And that, that, that sense of relief that you feel about, oh, I've avoided the hospital. I call those near misses. Yeah. I've had plenty of those. Um, and that's not fun. Um, but you're right. There are certain foods that will trigger it. And so for me, over this period of time, I found that the foods that I can tolerate has gotten narrower and narrower. So um, even, even healthy stuff, I've found uh, I avoid most nuts. Uh, melon of all things i can't eat melon because uh, that seems to be a trigger yeah. uh, anything anything with skin so grapes there was one time i got taken to the hospital because i had five grapes we went out and did a 10 mile run came home and had five grapes and then six hours later i'm sitting in the er because nothing was moving and i'm vomiting and that's that's a trigger it's like get to the er immediately yeah um so we'd, we'd been pacing um and then my wife aggravated that injury again to the extent of uh she couldn't run anymore. She actually went and saw the doctor and he said that uh, basically not a good idea. Um, I had run Boston um, and that was my goal. I wanted to get that out of the way, especially I wanted to get it out of the way because the doctors at that point was talking about, hey, let's let's reverse the ostomy. Let's let's go ahead and, and, and I said, no, I've, I'm supposed to be running Boston in four months, I'm not doing it. So after, after we're done, we can talk about that. Um, but once I had, met that goal I didn't really have anywhere else to go within running I didn't want to <clears throat> all the people that I had been running with all my friends were starting to transition to ultras so doing 50 100 milers um, I didn't see that as a practical thing for me especially with the bag because I didn't see how I could fuel over that period of time because they just they just eat garbage they'll they'll slam pizza they'll do Oreos they'll you know anything high sugar um, yo but for me it's got to be low residue because yeah. it's got to be stuff that dissolves, otherwise I'm, I'm in trouble. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, my wife, her neighbor, uh, had been doing CrossFit at a local gym here for about three years. She was looking for something to stay active again. Um, so she went and started to try it. And for me, at first, everybody's got a stigma about CrossFit. They've got this idea because they either see the games with those, you know, superhumans doing yeah. this incredible thing yeah or you hear things about uh rhabdo you know the the issue with uh working out too hard too quickly and the effect that it'll have on your muscles um there's a lot of negative connotations that go along with it so i was a little concerned she went she loved it and about four or five months later um it was really it was fomo fear of missing out on my side and i also missed working out with her so i said okay i'll try it however i had been running a lot um i was doing you know 50, 60 miles a week, and I've been doing that for four or five years. I was around 140 pounds, um, which was great. And I had a resting heart rate in the low 40s, which was great to freak out the medical staff whenever I'd go into the hospital or go to see the doctor's office. But um, I had no upper body strength. And so I was concerned going into that environment. I didn't want to jump into it and hurt myself. So the gym that I go to they offer a pretty much more cardio-based class called Shred um, that occurs at 5.30 in the morning. So the time was great because I was still keeping with that getting up early. But I thought I'll do that for the first three months. 
they do some of the other crossfit moves like box jumps and they train you to do pull-ups and things like that um <clears throat> and i'll work into it and so after a period of about four months i felt like i was ready i started transitioning to the regular classes where you actually use a barbell um but i was still in really bad shape i couldn't do a pull-up uh didn't know how to do double unders as far as the you know the two turns of the jump rope um but i fell in love with it because there's just so many different things to learn and to try to master that it keeps your mind engaged um it's the same environment if you find the right gym where it's you against you and you have the same supportive environment that i did in running and so it's thanks to my wife um and she fell in love with it as well she actually got her level one certification from crossfit just uh uh to december so two months ago and now she's actually coaching at that gym so this is this has been a definite lifestyle change for us and frankly people at the gym they're our family they're they're that close to us now i think that's one of the, the one of the many benefits of of crossfit i know it does get um a hybrid of press being bad and good right. but i think uh, the community that i notice around that fraternity is is i think a really important aspect in today's world um yeah it does get some bad press but it's only when people are foolish i think right with yeah. like right i have issues with guys in the military and crossfit and the understanding of how to utilize certain things and doesn't like a lot of the guys in the military are all, all or nothing and right sort of like we'll do ward after ward and it's just like you know, there's elements that you need to train there's elements that right. you do specifics and then awards great it's a great workout maybe once twice maybe three times a week or whatever you want to do it but there are just trying to do crazy shit that they've not prepared themselves for you like right. <laughs> yourself you know like throwing a bar over your head and going right. that, you're like going you, you haven't your, your form is like horrible right and that's that's one of the benefits is that our coach is got a very very um uh deep background and he's highly educated he's got a lot of degrees he's been through a lot of certifications the whole goal of this gym is that we're not going to let you do things that you number one can't handle and number two even if you have been doing them for a while if you're doing them wrong we're not going to let you do them either they're more concerned about the individual rather than the ego which is great um so and the other thing that worked for me too was that they scale everything all the workouts they'll work with each individual and say okay this is where you're at or this is where we feel like you're at this is what we would suggest that you do so you can build up to do those regular workouts um which which is fantastic i think uh so what are what are you doing right now what do i Exercise do mm -hmm. um i do various different things really i'm sure i'm sort of following a power lifting style okay. of training just because it's simple you know you've got Three or four keen movements that you're just right. looking at doing repetitively, and uh, it just seems to give me at the minute I like really struggle for time. Yes, so I can literally just pick a deadlift, pick a bench press, pick a back squat, and just work through that and work at different uh, percentages of my RMs, and then chuck in a bit of cardio, a bit of swimming, and that's, that's swimming really. Minute, yeah. So it's like I'm on I'm on a really strange pace because I've just had another newborn. So I'm right. like Congratulations by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah. Just everything just feels like it's in a bit of a flux at the minute, which is what it right. is. Yep. So um 
couple couple with the sleep depth i have been picking up a lot of uh, <laughs> seasonal sort of bugs and things like that so yeah. It's, yeah it's been a bit of a vicious cycle over the last few months health wise which is what has then obviously affected training so i'm just trying right. to keep everything as simple as possible yeah you'll soon learn that um uh, what is it hand sanitizer and uh antibacterial spray is going to be your best friend especially as your your older child starts getting into school mm. they bring that stuff home because the the classroom is just like this little petri dish and so they'll they'll be sick all the time and then you want to avoid that stuff as well but yeah it's 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 aggravating but it's also great too so i understand the yeah. challenges that you're facing oh, it's, it's so it is so special and sometimes sometimes i think it can be really difficult having ibd um right and particularly like if you've got a particularly tough strain of it because um, you get concerned about yourself so much but trying to enjoy your children as well can sometimes it's like a so um after, i'd only just got back up on my feet after that um stall it was a christmas party time so my wife so what uh, in the village we've got quite a uh, we're quite a community driven um, right group as it is and um, so we would run um christmas things for the kids for the like that live on the base and stuff like that right. and it's they're great but i was like i i i couldn't go this year because i was just like i think that's just going to be too much and it's it's felt really weird and it felt really selfish as well because i wasn't going for anything other than i didn't want to be around that many kids and pick up another bug right it's it's understandable though i mean and I understand exactly what you're talking about. I, I, I go through those periods of, of guilt. Um, it's kind of like a cycle as well, where you have to make sure that uh, sometimes there are some nights where basically I'm just so dead um, that you have to crash and you feel somewhat guilty about that where you don't want to remove yourself from, from the family. But on the other hand, you know that if that doesn't happen, if you don't take care of yourself, it's going to lead to a much longer stint either in the hospital or you're going to be sick and laid out on the couch or whatever. And so you have to balance that stuff out. That's a, that's a huge challenge. That's one thing that I've found with this disease as well. And it's, it's an ongoing battle. That's one thing that I don't think has gotten any easier as I go along. Um, I've been able to accept it more, but it doesn't assuage the guilt that much. Um, so yeah, I understand what you're saying. So uh, that brings you on nice to the next sort of question is uh, how do you manage to cope with your disease and raise a family of five? Um, well, let's see. Coping with the disease, it's since I had the disease before we had any kids, it's always, sadly, it's been a part of their life. They know. Um, we joke about it a lot um, because obviously with the bag, it presents challenges um, with you. You don't have any valve there on the stoma. It goes when it wants to. So um, I try to control that by altering my diet. I alter what I eat and also when I eat. There's stuff definitely that I try to stay away from, um, such as, and this is the other thing that I didn't realize. After, when I was first diagnosed, I said to the doctor, okay, so what's, what sort of diet am I looking at here? And he said, oh, you'll figure it out. And I was like, what? What do you tell you? And he's like, no, he said, you'll figure out what you can eat, what you can't eat. And that, that really made me mad at the outset. It's like, I've got this serious problem and he's not going to be helping me. Lo and behold, I started figuring it out because when I talked to other people that have the disease, they'd say, oh, well, I can, I can eat this without a problem. Or 
the funniest thing that happened to me was I was talking to someone they're like, oh, I can't do strawberries. I just cannot eat strawberries. And I was like, what? Well, the little seeds on the outside, that just, that just throws my body into a, a spin. And lo and behold, yeah, it's different for everybody. And so I've seen some of your previous uh, interviews where I've been really grateful that you've highlighted that, where it's like, hey, everybody's different. The medication is gonna affect each person differently. I wish almost that this was a blueprint um, where you could say, oh, well, this is what you're gonna experience. And then in four months later, you're gonna have this sort of symptom. It's not like that. Um, and it's the same way with food. So I found, especially during the holidays here with people bringing by different baked goods and treats and lots of fat, the surgeries that I've had, I cannot digest or process a lot of oils or fats. And that leads to a lot of gas, that also leads to a lot of real issues with the with the out, output. Um, but over the holidays, it's more difficult to avoid that stuff when somebody brings over this tray of uh, cookies or, or fudge or some sort of confection. Sometimes you just can't help yourself, but especially like this last week, there were two days where I did that, I indulged, and man, I paid for it later. So that helps keep it on track. Um, we kind of make jokes about it a little bit, um, the kids understand, I, they've come to visit me when I've been in the hospital after I've had surgeries or when I've had um, obstructions. And you're right, when you've got that NG tube sticking out of your, out of your face or your, your arms are all loaded up with different sorts of IVs or they can see the, the staples that you've had in your stomach, um, it's not fun for them, but at the same time, we were honest with them as well. Because the other sad part about this, at least with the information that I've received, is that this is hereditary or it can be um i know my my the little sister who is closest to me she's almost in as bad a state as i am she's got crohn's almost as bad as i do um and we have twin girls that are going to be 13 coming up here in february one of them is starting to exhibit some signs that they may have issues as well so we've been able to take the experience that we've had my wife and i with my disease and try to help guide them on how to Number one, alter their diet, but also um, understand what they're doing. Try to encourage them to keep active. Um, so that's that's been part of it. Um, for me, the biggest thing is I just don't want to impact or put more of a burden on my wife or impact the family as much as possible. So I try to minimize the effects, um, and sometimes that also means trying to trying to hide it as well which isn't a great approach, but I just don't want to burden them any more than I have to with this stuff. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's a balancing act, you know, and there's, there's certain levels of where we do feel guilt and there's, and there's certain levels where we, we do need to share. Um, so I know you've mentioned a few times getting up early. Yeah. Um, how, is, how has that become part of your life? And also, to, is there any other sort of self-ascribed kind of therapies that you... Yeah. I've discovered along the way because I at the minute one of the things that I've been doing since the summer is um cold water exposure. Um and I find that just seems to get because I do similar to you in terms of getting up. I tend to get up between five, half five. Right. And sometimes it's just to sort of have that quiet time. And then, yes. <laughs> but what I've found is if I want to do anything, having that jumping into a cold shower essentially. Right. Just gets me motivated, gets me moving. And there's a little bit of sort of, it's a bit of, it's a, bit of a fad thing, I think, at the minute that I've noticed across yep. the fitness world. I've, I've heard real benefits from it though, as well. Yeah, 
and there's there's a sort of mental aspect where it becomes this almost like a meditative state where you're in the shower and realizing that you're making a decision similar to how you talk about I'm making decisions of pains in my right. terms. I've kind of attributed a little bit of that mental aspect to having that regime. Um, well, there there are a couple of things. I, for me, especially when I started getting into running, um, and it's like with any sport that you train for it can take a significant amount of time. When my wife and I first started going out uh, running together, we would do it in the evening. Um, and I found that, because uh, we would, uh, our, our youngest, um, uh, this was shortly after he was born, we would wait until he would, uh, he would go down for the evening and we would let the other kids know, okay, we've got our, our mobiles with us. We're, we're going down the road to the track. Um, please monitor, you know, this was when he was probably like 10 months old. So it wasn't like, hey, newborn, take him, we're out of here. Uh, we were responsible with that. Uh, but I found that if we were going out at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock and we were getting done at like 10, I would get home and I'd be wired. So I would not be able to come down and go to sleep for at least an hour and a half and getting up to go to work at, at 7, um, that just wasn't working out for me. Um, when my uh, mileage started increasing, I found that it was taking too much time away from the family. Um, I would, I didn't want to go out uh, in the evening and miss that. And then on the weekends, if I went out at like nine o'clock in the morning, I wouldn't see them until probably one o'clock if I was traveling to, to run with friends. So I just found that it was easier, number one, getting up early in the morning to get that run in. It was a good way to start the day. Um, and also with the bag, when you, or at least with, with me, when I wake up in the morning, there is a period of time that I have to allow for that output to work its way through my system when you start waking up basically when you start drinking or eating anything that kind of kicks the digestive tract into motion and so the worst thing that can happen in my experience is to be on a run and then suddenly feel your bag fill um that you got to start looking around for a bathroom at that point um so i just got in this habit of number one not eating after 6 p.m um i haven't really done that in the last couple of years because i'm not running now um, but then getting up at four o'clock every morning, giving myself about a 45 minute period of time for my body to wake up, take care of anything that I have to do, emptying the bag, um, and then going out and running with, uh, with a buddy that I had that lives close by, um, that made a big difference. Um, and it also, you're right. There's periods of time in the morning where if you need time to contemplate, I'll usually use that time to, uh, uh, uh read scripture. Um, be able to focus on wanting to get the end for the day and then I'm out the door um, with CrossFit it's nice because the classes that I attend are actually they start at 630 in the morning so I just keep the same routine get up at four o'clock get everything worked out uh, get everything ready read scripture and then get out the door and get to class and then I can get to work by by 30 um, so that's been a big plus being able to help other people understand that they can accomplish their goals and they can actually um, do things that they think they can't. It's going to be a process, but I love seeing the spark come on in their eyes and understand that, yeah, I can do this. I can do, I can do rough things. So that's, that's been huge. Mm -hmm. um, what has having your disease told you about yourself? Um, it's taught me that, um, like I said earlier, it's not all about me. There's other stuff going on. Everybody has issues. Do what you can to help um, other people get through their trials and uh, their situations. Um, 
and to do what you can to be your best be good to other people um don't be full of yourself don't be prideful don't be puffed up um and to understand that there is a lot more going on than we realize and um to get out of your own little world um one of the things that uh that we're pretty resilient uh the biggest challenge that we faced is that earlier this year our oldest son died suddenly um on april 1st and um i would like to think that the the process and the change that we've gone through with this disease it's helped me understand um because we're we're members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints understand that um it's reaffirmed my testimony in knowing that uh there's a plan for all of us and we're here to help each other and that's that's helped set a bedrock for me and understand that there's so much more going on than people realize that we're here to help each other and my condolences about your side i had no idea uh, well, we we kept it kind of close to the vest because we didn't want to trumpet that out there but um thank you and you know it seems to be the, your standing point and your your fortitude is is only can only can be commended to you you know it's like that what you're choosing to take from these experiences is a really it's a really beautiful and positive thing well what what is the alternative though i mean exactly. there's so much negativity in the world and like i said everybody has hard trials that they go through i could be in a lot worse place and so if i can do something to help other people help my family help the people that we care about and even strangers that you have no idea who they are take that opportunity look for those opportunities every single day and do what you can to make somebody's life easier lift their burdens i think i think that's the best advice and particularly to to anyone listening or watching this at home um based working all, along this strand what advice would you give to someone who's newly been newly diagnosed or newly been given an ostomy um just the fact that it's it's life roll with it um and not to be too flippant but there are a lot worse things that could happen but you are able to um chart your own course to a certain degree learn about the disease learn about what the ostomy means um talk to other people and then understand that just because you have a bag doesn't mean that you have to be sedentary um there's so many opportunities the only thing that I've actually drawn a line at with trying or or saying like yeah, I'm going to do it. Um I've been invited to do a couple of uh, Spartan races. Um the only reason why that concerns me is that with the appliance if you're going through water or if you're having to go under obstacles I'm a little concerned about what happens if that tears away because then you've got a biohazard situation <laughs> in in the mud pit and they have to call the race to a stop. I'm sure there are ways to get around it. it may be something that I do in the future but for right now I don't think I want to do that but don't let those sorts of things stop you. You can get out, you can run, you can you can bike, you can do anything, go for a walk. Um and then also like I said earlier, work with your doctor. Understand that's a partnership. Um pay attention to your body, pay attention to the medications that you take, do your research and don't let it freak you out. Um cuz you can read the list of side effects in a lot of these medications. you won't want to touch them at all but um it's 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 not the end of the line for you yeah no it's really it's like um a discussion i've had recently 
with my father about his like so he sometimes doesn't like to take anything at all like he doesn't have clothes or anything like that but he's like just for the sake of a, a headache mm, yeah but not i don't want to take drugs and i'm like but some but then it's sort of like would it not be comforting to know that you could take two paracetamol and that would solve your issue rather than stewing over this for two or three right. days headache for two or three days or whatever and it's just sometimes it is just looking at medication from the perspective of what is the benefit right and rolling with that and also i think the other thing too is i mean there's a lot to be said for um uh medicine may not especially um what do they call it big pharma may not be the sole answer to everything um and so i found that uh i'll, I'll take supplements on a daily basis i'll take fish oil uh vitamin d vitamin uh, c l-lysine um, i have to take supplements for uh, calcium and magnesium and um, uh, potassium as well because I don't absorb that very well and that'll get, lead to muscle cramps. So there's there's nothing wrong with that as well. Just approach it with an open mind. Don't look at it like, oh, this is the prognosis. Game over. That's it. I'll just wait and do what my doctor tells me to and I'll sit and wait and see what happens next. Take an active role in it. And then that's why I've been really encouraged seeing the interviews that you've done and the information that you put on in your channel. Because like I said, when I was first diagnosed, the internet was not really readily available. And so I'd never heard of Crohn's disease before, but there's a wealth of information out there. Some of it bad, um, but there's a lot of it that's good too, especially if you go to the uh, the organizations like uh, the CCFA here in the States. Um, and then you guys also have over in the UK, what is it called? Uh, Crohn's Colitis UK. Yeah. Um, reach out to those places. They can help you find resources and help you learn about the disease and also keep you in the loop as to new research that's going on. And you'll be able to find other people as well that have the same affliction. Um, it's it's so, a really yeah. good op, um, social source uh, where it, it provides community support as well as um, access to the information that otherwise is, can be quite difficult to come across. Right. Um, you talk to us a little bit about how what inspires you through to do all the stuff you're doing and how you how you're managing yourself and coming back from from the trauma of losing your son and all those sort of impacting factors as well as managing having a Crohn's disease um for me uh like i said it on the one hand i view things as um i'm not certain how much time i've got before the next surgery because uh, you can be going along just fine for a couple of years and then suddenly the medication that you're on, you build up a tolerance to it. I, I'm on, I'm on uh, biologics now. I, like I said, I exhausted all the normal course of drugs that they had well into um, uh, the disease and started moving over to things like uh, cancer treatment. As I mentioned, Imuran. I was also on methotrexate, which was not fun. Um, then they moved me over to the biologics, Remicade. That didn't really work too well. <clears throat> Humera, which worked really well for about four years and lost its effectiveness, effectiveness on me. I was on Intivia, which gave me, Intivio, sorry, um, which gave me some really, really nasty side effects for a period of about six months where basically I had no energy and lots of other nasty things. And then I'm on uh, um, Stellara now, which has been great, you know, knock on wood. Um, the, the way that I get through it is to understand that... Um, Again, like I said, it's not it's not permanent. Try to work with disease. Um, there are definitely concessions that I have to make. I can't go uh, 24-7. You have to take time to rest. You have to make sure that your nutrition is correct, at least for me. 
because um, I'll see the effects from there. Um, for me, uh, the, being the membership in our church is huge for us. Um, being able to serve and teach uh, there, being able to help others, um, getting to understand and uh, build my own testimony for um, uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the atonement, um, and then being able to try to see what I can do to make my wife's life easier. How can I be a support to her? How can I be a support to our kids? Um, for me, that's the best way to cope for it. And then otherwise, I try not to really bring up the disease. Um, I'll be honest with people because obviously when you've got a stoma, that thing goes off when it wants to. And so I don't feel guilty about it. I mean, I'll try to explain people, especially if they notice if I'm in a meeting or something, and I'll try to make, uh, do what I can to make sure that uh, there's no offending odors or anything. Um, but beyond that, it's like, eh, I can't control it. It happened to me. I didn't go and choose this, so I don't care. And I'll explain it to people and I'll answer their questions. But beyond that, um, I'm not going to make apologies for it. It's like, it's like hair color. Can't do anything about that. It's just what it is. So. No, that's, that's so true. Um, if you could pick one thing, what would you like people to take or learn from your journey? Um, that you can do hard things and you can turn this into um, a benefit. You can learn and grow from it and you can actually help others through your experiences. That's beautiful. What's, what would your hopes for the future hold? Um, I would want to basically stay pretty much at where these things are now. I'd like to hope that the disease doesn't progress any further. Um, surgeries aren't a whole lot of fun and they're not cheap. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be realistic about that. If it happens, it happens, whatever. Um, and then I would like to see better medications come on the market. Um, some of the stuff that we have now is a lot better than was available when I first was diagnosed. But there are some nasty side effects. So I'd like to see them find either a treatment or ultimately some solution or ideas to what causes it so that a lot of people can um, get relief from their symptoms. Yeah, no, totally. Um, we've reached a part of the show now that um, I've literally just ripped off from Lewis Howes. The, it's the great, though. It's really um, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's your last day, many years from now on Earth. And all the work you've ever done is somehow lost. What three truths or lessons, if you will, would you want to leave that you would be remembered for and the people of the world could learn from? Um, well, I've said this several times is that it's, it's not, it's not about, it's not about me. Um, it's about what you can do for others. Um, that's the biggest impact that you're going to have on anybody. Um, so that's one. The second would be, um, wow. I don't know if I broke these down into individual items. Um, the second would be is that, uh, you can, you can do hard things. Uh, anybody, you have the capability. We can't all do the same things. We're all different, but never ever limit yourself. If it's, if it's good, if it's beneficial, pursue it. Don't do self-destructive stuff. Uh, I'm going to see if I can down this 32 ounce bottle of alcohol in, in under five minutes. Okay. That's probably a bad idea, but I want to see if I can run five miles. Um, and it doesn't have to be today. Um, and that's probably the third thing is forgive yourself and forgive others 
and give yourself time. We're all works in progress. We all have shortcomings. Um, and it's sometimes easier to go easier and forgive other people than it is yourself. But you are entitled to that sort of um, benefit of the doubt as well. If you can do that, I think if we could see that on a larger scale, I think the world would be in a much better place. I mean, you see what it's like politically over here right now. If people would just allow people to be human and to forgive them, things would be so much better, so much better. Yeah, no, it's, it's so, so true. I think that's, that's a beautiful series of lessons, definitely. I just like to take a minute just to acknowledge you and just appreciate you for your humble honesty that you give me through this show and, and for the service that you provide to your community back home. I think it's a, it's a real inspiration. Just like a, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today I have, has been new to me that I haven't pulled from what I've seen of you on, on our Austin group and on Instagram. And it's been really refreshing just to see how humble you are and how much you, you put yourself at the service of others. I think it's a, it's a great way to be as a human. Well, typically with, with, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate everything that you do. I love the series that you put together. I think it's been so beneficial, and I've already been talking to several friends that I have that have either colitis or, or Crohn's, letting them know about you and also the other athletes that are out there and what they're doing to help encourage them. Um, but when it comes to social media, I typically try to keep things light and silly because I think that's what social media is for. It's for cat videos and dumb jokes and, uh, and for, for music and that's about it. So yeah, it's definitely something that um, that's, I usually don't try to share a whole lot of the, the personal heavy stuff on there. So appreciate you. My friend has this theory about uh, social media, I think I've talked about it before, is that they will never have World War III because we like cat videos too much. Oh my gosh, I, I love cat videos. The, yeah. the, it, uh, usually my kids, I'll sit, be sitting there on my phone, one will come up and I'll start laughing. And across the room they'll say, oh, dad's watching cat videos again. But yeah, that's that's a good hobby. I like it. <laughs> well, Vince, um, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. I know you've got to go and get on with the rest of your day now. So hopefully- uh... we've, got a, we've got the 12 days of Christmas wad coming up in about an hour. So looking oh, forward to nice. that. That's going to be exceptional. Well, once again, happy Christmas. Um, Thank you. I hope you, you have too. a wonderful Christmas Eve and, and tomorrow is as enjoyable as you can make it. Oh, we'll see. And uh, Santa Claus comes and... Uh, yeah, Kid, kids are already ramped up to the, to the extreme, so we'll see how things work out. But Merry Christmas to you and your family. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I really hope that you've got something from it. I think you can agree that Vince's uh, Three Truths were really thought-provoking and um, why not just let me know what your three truths would be or tell me about your diagnosis story in the comments down below just let us know what's going on with your life how has having IBD or any chronic disease affected you or if you know somebody with a chronic disease how is it living with that person and what's uh, the positives and maybe the negatives that are coming out of that relationship so yeah just let us know down in the comments and don't forget like the video Subscribe to the channel if you want to and hit that little bell icon so that you get alerted every time that we upload. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.